Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. This is my chance. Jason's not here right now. This is how I finally take over the podcast, which has been my in in like Greg Turkington style. This, which has been my my goal from the beginning. I mean, given the outsized slowly, influence that you have on the Golden Berries, I would say it's fair to say you've already taken over the podcast. I do the, I do the summary. Uh, I've successfully killed no less than eight of Jason's bits. You know, one bit you have not killed is is seeing long ass movies in theaters. I oh, uh, I know I haven't touched base with you about Berlin Alexander plots. How did that go? Like we we had the the postings. Obviously, you loved it. Um, what's I don't did know. he though? Did he though? Or is it the thing with um Letterbox where it's like if if you went to see a movie for sixteen hours, you better log that motherfucker a five. Otherwise, it's like I've wasted my life. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I've never done that, so I, it's, I can't it's like speak why, to it. No, nobody on Letterboxd is going to be brave enough to give uh fucking come and see like a 2.5. Be like, I thought it was a little didactic. <laughs> it's like, if you watch I that shit, know. you're rating I, it a 5. I feel like people like to be contrarian, too, you know? Like, it's... But the, the length thing is no. different. Here's the thing. I will say this. I have put many, many more hours than that into video games that I hate and and talk about hating. Yeah, that, so. that's a really good point, actually. We don't talk about that a lot, but now that Jason's not here and we're two to one, um, although Jason's a game guy too, so I guess usually we're three to one. But like, that's yeah. so yeah, if true. Anything, you're right? weaker. It's like I I think nothing of playing six hours of a video game that I think is dog shit. Because I want to get yeah. all the collectibles or whatever, or like f- fucking fill up the Ubisoft map, turn it from red to blue. Yeah. But you sit me down in a movie that's two and a half hours long, and I can't take it. Apparently, you're right. So it's it's admirable. You're, what you're, you're doing weak. is you've admirable. grown weak. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. I've grown soft, and I won't survive winter. Look, you know, they're. It looks like they're doing this every year now. They did it last year. They did it again this year. Maybe they'll run out of long movies. Like there's not. When you think about it, there's not like that many you know, uh, six to 15 hour long movies. Like right now, really restorations. They're going to unearth some of that shit. Chess of the wind style. Yeah. They're going to find more tech. I mean, Berlin, I, I, I posted about this on letterbox, but Berlin Alexander plots itself is not a movie. Just, just, it is distinctly. That is a mini series that played theatrically that you feel free, feel free to call it a movie, but like, that how would, how would David Lynch hour. feel about it? I was going re- to say real, real Twin Peaks, the return <laughs> yeah, situation. I was say, David Lynch even does David Lynch call that a movie? Like I, I, understand, I thought like, he called the return a movie, didn't he? I, I thought he did. I could Maybe be that wrong. was just his fans that were being annoying about this. it. But David Lynch is is the return a movie? It Which, is. By the way, if Lynch, if, who directed the entire event himself, says that he sees it as an 18 hour movie. Well, see? it's not fucking correct. Nah, okay. Yeah, he also, shot it as a movie. No, no, no. no. Hey, Music no, Box no. or Gene Siskel Theater or whoever you they went would, to see they this would at. probably do that if they get the right I to would it, go sure. to it. I would see The Return in one sitting. That sounds incredible. Yeah, and also, like, other it would ones too. annihilate my brain a little bit, but in a good way. That would, how, what is it, 18 episodes? Yeah, it's 18 hours. They would probably split that out over two days. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but 
And and like uh, by weight, about half of it is watching musical performances. <laughs> That's true. Yes. That's yes. yes. So it'd be kind of like going to a concert musical. too, which which is fun. I, I yeah. wonder if they are have tried to get the ability to show that. Um, I want because I believe the I can only speak to the the music box as opposed to the Gene Siskel Film Center, but the music box did, does like the Lynch Fest, and they did their big one a year, two years ago now where they showed like literally everything David Lynch did. And I don't think they showed anything from the return. Oh, that's too bad. And I, I that would be really if, like, cool though. Showtime or whoever, you know what it's I mean? Probably like, it's probably too just, recent, right? It came out in 2017 and it was a huge yeah. deal. And I bet Showtime is like really locking that shit down. Yeah. Yeah. Something to consider, uh, area repertory theaters. Thank you for considering these endeavors and thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to try love. This is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about the movies we saw and the people we met at the trial on cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at try love podcast. And more importantly, you can find try love, uh, try love trial on see, I'm already doing the Jason thing where I messed up at least once in the intro. Love you, Jason. Uh, we'll talk more about him in a second. You can find, the Trilon at Trilon Cinema on Twitter. You can find them at Trilon.org. Also, you can find them in real life at the Trilon Cinema, the aforementioned Minneapolis, Minnesota. His social security number is... Is, and then we just enter it right here. Jason is the editor, so he'll go ahead and edit that in for us. Scout's yeah. honor. Uh, if you can't find, if you cannot obtain that social security number, you can obtain movie tickets and merch at the Trilon. Um, they're great. What's better than that? The answer is nothing. Uh, Jason Daphnis, our usual MC. You can hear me stumbling through the intro. Uh, lesser hands um, at, at the at the helm here. Jason will be here eventually. He got held up by uh, by a work function, and so he'll he'll kind of jump into this a, a little cold, um, which will be fun energy, hopefully. Uh, but until that time comes, we're in for a whale of a good time. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. Everything we think and everything we will think is ridiculous. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Thank you for introducing us, Cody. I'd like to point out that there was just sort of a... We didn't even really talk about this. I asked you right before, and you seemed sort of taken aback that I would even ask. There's just an assumed pecking order, a sort of natural hierarchy of professional to unprofessional in the Trilove ranks. So like when Jason is not here for whatever reason, it just naturally falls to Cody without even really having to say anything. We just know that Cody is going to go ahead and pick up that baton. I'd like to think that I would be next in line. Um, but the, if we're being honest, that's probably just because Aaron actually has a segment that he has to do, whereas I just show up and sort of fucking let it let it all fly. It would be a little <laughs> rude if you didn't get it after that. Although Cody does also have a segment too, famously. Yeah, I'm just a you know every podcast got the got a slacker, and that's me. Got the got the guy without a fucking segment. Right. I just don't listen. We don't need any more segments. All right. I'm doing everybody a favor. No. Thank you. So, uh, anyway, who are you who's speaking right now? Yeah, it doesn't really flow when you go off on a tangent, but I, 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 wanted, I, I wanted to do on a tangent, you know? It's fine. Jason's not here. Uh, my name is Aaron, and I'm the world's largest giant whale, and you can find me rotting in the town square every day. Uh, head on down to the town square, and that's where you can find me right now. You absolutely can. Um, I'll bypass any sort of fluff that usually pops in here, because we do have uh, a lot to get to. We've got some bits some segments to get to um we got aaron with the first one aaron what movie are we talking about today yes indeed folks we're talking about verkmeister harmonies uh, i assume we're putting in the 
you know, wait, Andreas Werkmeister was German. So yes, Werkmeister Harmonies, 2000 film directed by uh, Bellatar and Agnes Hranitsky. I knew I was going to fuck up one of these names. Agnes Hranitsky, uh, I believe his uh, still wife, uh, who I believe this was the first film that she was kind of credited as uh, as a co-director. No, Shout she was collaborating with him on The Outsider and then, yes, with this film in 2000, she was considered co-director. And uh, with so much love to Bellatar, from what we've heard about Bellatar interpersonally, uh, it might be kind of a bit of a polyplat situation. I would imagine he needs a lot of, shall we say, guidance. Sure. <laughs> he, he probably He's probably an annoying guy to be a partner of. Like, I don't mean to go there, but you know what I mean? I could just see. Listen, just man, like, geniuses are often hard to get along with. That's just the it's way true. it is. Uh, based on the 1989 novel The Melancholy of Resistance by Laszlo Krasnohorkai, uh, Werkmeister Harmonies portrays an unnamed uh, small town in Hungary set in the uh, approximately like the mid 20th century. Doesn't doesn't really say uh, the film primarily follows the actions of a young man named Janos Valuska. Uh, who works kind of day by day as a newspaper delivery man um, and kind of spends his free time thinking about and kind of lecturing uh, to the local town folks about the movements of the planets and and other kind of mystical kind of uh, spiritual matters. Um, he also spends his time helping his uncle Georgi, uh, a musicologist uh, obsessed with uh, kind of now long dead uh, music theorist Andreas Berkmeister uh, and kind of his his music theories and ways of specifically ways of uh, 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 tuning instruments. We'll talk about it probably. Uh, the lives of the residents of the unnamed town are changed with the arrival of a circus uh, with kind of two main attractions. First is a large stuffed whale. Uh, and the second is a performer known as the Prince, who is never directly seen, uh, but seems to kind of stir up the anger of the local townsfolk with apocalyptic prophecies and fascist rhetoric. Uh, Lars Rudolph plays Janos Veluska. Um, I, you know, yeah. There's also uh, a list of kind of the, I don't know if you guys noticed this, the whole dialogue is dubbed uh, in German. So it does also list that, but I'm not going to read it. Peter Frick. Except, uh, well, except uh, the prince speaks Hungarian, or not Hungarian, but Slavic, right? Or is that also translated? I didn't get to, I didn't okay, get that's fine. Uh, 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 CCs for that, but Peter Fitz plays Georgi uh, Etzer and Hannah Shigula plays Tunde. Uh, who I've not quite mentioned, but we'll talk about her as well. So those are the three characters who get credits by me. Uh, the prince does indeed speak Slovakian, by the way. I just looked it up. But makes sense. Just, Makes just so sense. you know. Does it? Maybe I don't that's know. Like, do you think Bellatar is just like, fuck the fucking Slovak? Well, that's what I like. That's the part <laughs> of this movie that I don't know enough here. about. Right? <laughs> yeah. Fucked shit up. Yeah, we were doing, we weren't doing well, okay, but we were doing better than when they showed up. Every time. fucking speaking in town squares. No matter how many times I hear it, whenever somebody says this movie was in 2000, I feel like I'm losing my mind. It was like, like, yeah, written and created in, I'm like, that's not true. It, this it movie feels clearly like came 19... out in 61 or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, all, all of, I believe all of Bella. I, I haven't seen some of his lesser known stuff, but all of Bellator's like most famous stuff is in black and white. Yeah, uh, I think maybe some of his early stuff is is not in black and white, but he's talked about preferring black and white cinematography. This is a movie that is very specifically supposed to be widely representative of history, but like European history and then like Hungarian history specifically, yeah. and like kind of you're kind of supposed to 
take that this could have taken place any time from, I don't know, let's say right before World World War One to like after World War Two. You know, it's, it's um, the it has the same ending as uh, Electra, my love, where all of a sudden a helicopter shows up and it freaks the shit out of you because yes, you're like, wait, there the are helicopters, helicopters? Like, <laughs> yeah, which like exactly. maybe the point, but also right. like. Also, uh, the, the the one time something like that shows up in one of Bellatar's films, and you're just like, "How the fuck did he afford a helicopter?" <laughs> yeah, like his 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 entire thing is just like, uh, "I'll I'll shoot a fucking no, eight it, minute scene in a bar, you know, right. with two his, guys." His producer was like, "Listen, Bella, we can either have forty shots in this movie, or we can have the helicopter." And he was like, "No problem." <laughs> We're we're just lucky we we started filming when a whale was coming to town. Otherwise, the script would not have worked at all. I, yeah. The helicopter's cool. You know what else is cool? This movie. Cody, what did you think oh, of this movie? I, I I liked this movie. I guess also Harry and I got to see it the the same the, the same showing at the Trilon. Um and Aaron, you mentioning CC's earlier um makes me want to inquire, you know, when when it comes to you, kind of what your experience was watching this. Not uh, I mean, again, you were busy at in other ways, at at local cinema uh, this past weekend, um, that's it's duly noted. It's on the record. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Seeing 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 it in a movie uh, in a movie theater filled with people, I guess I was I spent a good amount of like my peripheral like mental energy trying to get a sense of like what everybody's bandwidth was because it was one of those and like we've seen this. I think this calendar year up to this point, the Trilon screenings have been like selling out pretty well like in advance uh and i didn't necessarily see that with this movie like when it came time to it the theater was pretty well full like i think by and large another sold out screening maybe just not from like pre-sold tickets all that is to say um you know with our experience with bellatar just on this podcast up to this point and Gorgi fair's um film uh last you know and also Gorgi fair you know and bellatar you know, juntos, you know, <laughs> compatriots, uh, you know, buddies in this medium. Um, and just like me, uh, and presumably a lot of others waiting for this sort like, this is kind of like a long awaited film as well. All that is to say, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and I mean, I expected something great. I, I honestly, the, the first thing that I, I think of with regards to just like my overall, uh, I don't know, just like processing everything, up until about midway through, I thought this is going to be like a situation where like small town xenophobia was like, it was proven false or something like that. Like it, this was going to be sort of like a, a smaller, not like bottle episode, but like a, a lo- localized, like simmering type of story just taking place in the, in the in the minds and mouths of the couple people that Aaron mentioned who have like speaking roles in this movie. Um, but then to see all that externalized and to like the maximalization of like what Bellatar can capture uh, in, in frame, um, like some truly impressive camera work. I'm saying like a lot of nothing at this point. I think a lot of that is because I'm still like digesting this. Um, but like I came away from this like very positively. It is, as you would expect, very, um, like bleak <laughs> and i i don't know i we were talking about it with um friends of the pod natalie and, and abby uh after the screening and just like really feeling gut punched and sort of sympathizing with them uh, after the fact i don't know harry if that's gotten um you know like be- if that's felt better uh, to you in the in the days since we watched this or, or how you come away with it um i'm sure we'll get into some like you know very specific very pointed things but uh i mean of all the expectations i would have had about um 
uh, Bellator's you know masterpiece. Like those are are very well founded. Um, I should say Bellator and Anya's uh, Franitsky. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is this is everything I would have wanted, and I still feel like I'm I'm unraveling, uh, or well, I am unraveling, but I'm also like untangling certain things. I don't know if that's how you feel, Harry, if or if uh, you have a pretty clear sense of this, and this is not you know um, Tarkovsky's mirror, and we can just wrap this one up <laughs> pretty pretty quick. I don't think it's quite Tarkovsky's mirror for me, but I like that comparison. I would say that. I have to introduce the usual disclaimers, right? Which is that I don't know very much about Central European history. Um, I don't know much oh. about lots of history because of the failures of the American educational system and my own ADHD and lack of discipline in uh, doing further research, right? Um, so I would imagine that there are political dimensions upon political dimensions in this movie that uh, I am missing. Um, it feels broadly allegorical to me in a way that I really don't want to dismiss. That being said, unfortunately or not, right, like as an ignorant white dude watching this in 2024, I got a much more universalist sort of humanist or anti-humanist message from it um, in a way that nonetheless yeah. really resonated with me. Um, Cody, as I, I think you know, probably because we talked about it afterwards and because, like you said, you were scanning the uh, the theater. I was blown away by this movie. I think it's tremendous. Um, I... It, I'm almost like loath to admit it because I feel like, unfortunately, unfairly, I've come out as like the anti-Hungarian slow cinema guy. Um, I think that this movie is tremendous. Um, I think Bellatar is a genius. Um, I think Cody, you and I talked about it before, and I mentioned it in my Letterbox review. Shout outs to Letterbox. Darren hates it when we do that, but um, I think that this has what I what I genuinely think might be the best opening sequence slash shot in fucking cinema history. Um, and like, it's not only amazing on its own merits in the sense that it could be like a short film, um, but it also so perfectly sets up, um, so subtly and non-didactically what this movie is going to be about that I felt so grounded in this story. And I felt like, despite the fact that so much of this movie is so slow and so much of it is communicating purely through images, right? As opposed to, I mean, you can make the argument that some ideology creeps in there, that, that some sort of signposting creeps in there, particularly when it comes to the prince and when it comes to the mob at the end of the movie and when it comes to the main character himself. But largely, this is a movie about experience and emotion and what it feels like to be in a place and experiencing time, um, not unlike Twilight was, right? Um, and I found that with the grounding provided from this first scene, I understood what I was taking away from each scene subsequently so clearly that it felt, I mean, it, it felt like I was being taught to speak a new language in real time in some ways, right? Like I, we talk a lot about uh, on this podcast about being trained um, to view things in certain contexts. And I really felt like by the end of this movie, like, even as somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience with Hungarian slow cinema, like I so I felt like I had such a great understanding of why Bellatar chose to make this movie in the exact way that he did, right? That it all felt so perfectly purposeful to me, right? Like I think the the shot that you called out, Aaron, in our chat was like, oh, you know, like it's a classic Bellatar shot where it's just the two the two guys, Janos and his uncle, just walking side by side silently for like three and a half minutes, right? It's, it's like we're just literally walk, watching them walk through town. But like 
before this movie was even over, I think I had a perfect understanding of why he wanted to do that specifically. And it's like, not just because he's Bellatar and not just because like, that's what this is known for, but because communicating something in that way, using the auspices of filmmaking to do that, using like the time dilation that happens when you realize that we've been in a scene for far longer than we should be in a scene was communicating something that was material to what he wanted to use this film to say. Um, and, I feel that way about pretty much, I think, every aspect of this movie, right? From the dialogue to the acting performances to the um, black and white to the sort of like time out of time setting. I think that this is just a really unbelievably realized movie um, and and one that I, I think communicates what it's trying to communicate um, unbelievably clearly. And I'm really excited to talk about what we all think that is, if we want to even talk about that, right? But it, it feels like it's a lot to to wrap our heads around and I'm but I was I was really, really happy with it. And um it sort of is like a really good example of the kind of movie I love to see at the Trilon. What do you think, Aaron? I, I would I would kinda agree with what you said. I would I think this would be a great like first Bellatar film in in kind of an interesting way. Uh if if somebody was like, you know, wanted to become a sicko like all of us, you know, and like get into some of his stuff. Probably better than Damnation, be... right? <laughs> uh, Arguably. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been meaning to rewatch Damnation. I think I would probably like, I, I really, I think that was one of my favorite. Like, yeah. Top five it's a fucking amazing list. movie. Yeah. Um, I would like to rewatch that, but like, yes, Damnation, I think is probably a, a bad first Bellatar film. Something like Satan Tango, despite its length is at least, I think, kind of enticing in the same way that like, you know, college freshmen like read infinite jest sort of situation where like, you know, it's length kind of is, is kind of the draw there. Uh, uh, maybe annoyingly, but, but also like not right. Um, I think that like this movie is, you know, it's, I, this is still like a fucking like long, slow movie, right? It is like almost two and a half hours. There are, I think one of the reviews mentioned 49 shots. That is, Oh, I thought it was 39. Sure, but probably 39, right? That is, it's like a remarkably small amount of shots, uh, uh, for a movie, uh, uh, that, that kind of has the events that this movie does have going on, right? I think that, like, if you were to describe the events of this film, I think it sounds like a more kind of minute to minute enticing affair than, than what it really is, right? Like, if you were like, circus comes to town, uh, one it kind of sounds action packed in an ironic one way. <laughs> act, right. There's a there's this fascist uh, uh, kind of dictator behind, you know, this fucking screen belting out orders and shit. Uh, there's it's like the demonic Wizard of Oz, of right? The, the heavens, you know, um, but like, obviously, this this movie is like kind of s- slow and, and kind of plays out in much more of like a deliberate way than that. And I don't mean that as like a, a bad thing. I think that like this movie kind of in the same way that like we talked about with like twilight and like, you know, having to kind of sit with some of these techniques in order for them to really work with you. I think that this movie is one that like even kind of further cemented, like my understanding of like what Bellatar is doing. And I think that it it might be a good first Bellatar film because it is doing some of that stuff. I think a little bit more obviously than some of his other works. Um, I think like, for example, like, you know, this is a movie with a lot of like very long, tracking shots but like not you know kind of showy uh tracking shots with with one exception i'm sure we'll talk about in a bit um you know most of the shots in this are extremely slow and kind of 
involve the camera like slowly just like circling around characters in some sort of interior space, right? Um, to the point where like I, I can't think of if you had like a gun to my head, I don't think I could name another shot in a movie that full on does a 360 around a room. Like I I don't know, you know, uh, certainly not at that kind of length. Um, uh, I can think of some, but only in like kind of like hacky action senses when the camera, right. the point the is it spins around is a doing bunch a of John times. Woo sort of situation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but like outside of that, like, yes, like, like Bellatar will have you know, like an eight minute scene where the camera just slowly moves through this house and just like slowly rotates around its characters. Uh, I'm sure breaking every rule of filmmaking, right? Um, but yeah, like, except I it's think the that, fucking like, best. <laughs> yes, it's the sort of thing where, like, if you think about it, like, you really can understand why that's happening, right? Like, um, it, like one, it like really recontextualizes like the scene as it goes on. We see elements of this person's life, of this person's house, apartment that that you maybe are not kind of privy to uh, at the beginning of the shot. I think that there's also something to be said for this kind of circular like repetitive motion that the camera makes over and over again in these shots and how that ties into the lives that these people are leaving kind of the history that they are just like a small part of that seems to keep reproducing the same events right this is like a a movie that is i think kind of obvious in a lot of its maybe more poetic yes it's weird right because i don't find it didactic at all yes but i also do not find it subtle right like i i think it's pretty communicative I agree. Yes, that is kind of what I wanted to say is like, this is a movie that like, is very slow, but it like constantly rewards the audience member who can kind of keep picking up little things to nibble on while a scene, you know, goes on for its seventh or eighth minute or whatever. And I I find it very fascinating and kind of hypnotizing in a, a weird way. No, definitely. Um, yeah, like you said, we're all we're all just weird, slow cinema sickos. Uh, it's very easy for us to. Yeah, I, I I find that super rewarding, and I think like what we're talking about here, it like firmly reiterating how something like Verkmeister Harmonies would maybe be a better in for Bellatar and slow cinema compared to something like Damnation or or, or Satin Tango. Um, I do like that we had the opportunity to see like Twilight last year um i guess not like a full year but i i sort of like having twilight as a lead in even for something like this just because thinking about ramping up something that like like a a budding film scholar somebody who like wants to get into this particular style i think something like twilight which you could maybe like i'm putting all of this into a box um but like something like twilight you could maybe map onto shit that like you know so oh i somebody who like loves fincher like you know or like specific genre films something like twilight is maybe like an easier easier mapping for something like that and verkmeister harmonies i think builds off of that again not in like a one-to-one way um speaking like very crudely but just the the fact that it is so clearly and you guys have already been talking about how it it clearly evokes certain elements of like visual language that like it, it would be taught in classes or is like commonly understood and is very clear about when like when it is intending to break those, like the the 360, you know, breaking the 180 degree rule um, or something like that. And I was, I don't know if it's because we have, you know, the uh, ba- the mileage we do with with Damnation and Twilight or with me having seen um, Satan Tango or within the past couple of years, but just something about um, the, the visual language in this like really popped for me in a way that 
Um, it didn't necessarily with with Bellatar's other works. Um, and like obviously the ambition of those is, uh, or, or, you know, the camera work in Satantango, the certainly different aims compared to something here. Like I think Aaron, like you said, setting up the camera, watching it like something idly happening or like even more slowly happening. And that's like kind of the point, the banality of it all. Whereas um, like there's, I don't know, like a a certain vibrancy that's like captured here within this like humdrum, a small town, just like the morning, the, the, the first morning we get where it's all foggy and like directly countering like the beautiful like night the nighttime walks of of Janos as he is you know leaving the bar and then he like puts uh puts his uncle to bed and then like goes on a paper out and then the, the and then smash mouse then the morning comes everything is uh is like foggy everything is like perfectly silhouetted you have a built-in sort of like depth of field where there are like three or four different kinetic like planes of movement that just like really jump off the screen um and what was the other one i had oh and like the um the the shadows you come to get with um like any sequence with the with the whale carcass um like the the black and white like photography cinematography of it all i think really paying dividends here in in something where like you like a, a ton of care is put into this and it does feel like this is maybe like a masterwork for these directors for that reason like you can you can i don't know i i definitely felt the the building up to it um or like them building up to it with with something like this and i don't know something about the visual language maybe it's the particular story maybe it is because they're you know they're experts at their craft and this was the culmination of all that um it's probably a mixture of that and yeah things, but I, I really felt that sort of pop um yeah i don't know harry do you feel similar no, I, the scratching I at something really like the way you're characterizing this i um, I mean, I guess my other exposures with Hungarian slow cinema, right? Twilight and Damnation. I felt similarly about the ways in which I think that you tell certain types of stories when you're using this type of filmmaking. And I think that this type of filmmaking lends itself to those stories really well. Um, I think I felt this one more in particular than I did even for those other two, just because, well, Twilight is extremely masterful at this as well. But um, there's a really good framing around this movie, right? It's not, it's like, uh, I think another reviewer referred to it as like the something is rotten in the state of Denmark moment from Hamlet, right? Where like from the very first moment in this movie or like from very early on, you know, something is wrong, right? You can feel there is a, there is a deep malaise haunting this village, right? And it's encapsulated in the shadows and in the fog and in the way we are moving through this village, the way that the film is forcing us to share mental and psychological space with Janos and the other characters the way we do, right? I think Bellatar has always been about like man versus time, right? He said that like time is the only truth and feeling time is like, is, is the way to get at a universal human experience. Um, I think that here, like that is framed up so perfectly within the story that it can do an incredible amount of heavy lifting to the point where I almost think that it can communicate things that the story itself is pointedly not communicating. For instance, all of the reviews of this movie, and I I did a fair bit of reading because I wanted to understand this better. They talk all about how like the circus coming to town is sort of like the, um, the trigger for this um, unrest that occurs, right? Which is definitely true from a textual perspective, but in from a larger perspective, it I think the movie makes it very clear that this malaise existed before 
Uh, and if anything, the circus was catalytic to its yeah, uh, creation. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think it primarily does that with filmmaking techniques, right? It does it with like the way that we are supposed to feel at unease, the way that we are supposed to understand how these people existing in this environment and processing time the way they are at the speed they are, are being sort of undone by it slowly. There is just a tension that is building at to a fever pitch throughout this movie, really from the very first scene. Um, and I think that the, the cinema does such a great job of communicating that with everything that you mentioned, Cody, um, that it can really speak for itself, right? Like, I think that when this movie deploys dialogue, it does so very consciously and uh, very well. But uh, there are times when it almost felt perfunctory, um, I'm thinking in particular uh, the explanations of the prince and of uh, the diary of the writers. Um, I really liked both of those sequences quite a bit, but it felt, to this movie's great credit, so obvious to me. Like, like right. when we when we were listening to the rioters describe why they were rioting, and you know, spoilers, it, it turns out to be that it's it's basically because they can't express themselves and they can't make anything meaningful, and they have learned that maybe the only way that they can feel some catharsis from this angst that they feel at being insignificant is in fact to destroy rather than create because at least that gives them some sort of release. But really what that is, is it's just about a sort of um, an anger that is being projected onto the world that um, you can't be significant in the world or that you can't be meaningful. Um, that all felt like I was, I was really glad to have that as a sort of compass to understand this movie with, but I think I would have come away with it regardless. Right. Like, I think that honestly, like the way that this movie communicates how these people feel using filmmaking techniques is sufficient to get at the ideologies that it wants to explore and the sort of, um, the, the fundamental human angst or unease, uh, that it that it's exploring um, in the the human condition. I I agree with you, but I also think that there is an aspect to this because I was I was trying to think about like what what is the thing that makes this movie work and not feel just kind of like obvious in a way. And I think that like the thing for me is that like the, it it is very upfront and like very clear about its themes and like what it thinks of uh, its characters and like, the, you know, the philosophies that its characters are kind of, you know, uh, kind of talking to each other about. Um, but I think that there is also, you know, as opposed to a movie that like I enjoyed, but like we, you know, kind of disagreed about like a uh, hard eight, right. Which is a movie that is like dumbest movie to compare this to, but it is a movie that is like similarly very upfront and like, clear about its themes right to the point where like its characters literally like say them like out loud to each other right i think like one of the reasons that a movie like this works better is that i think that it is very upfront and kind of deliberate about that sort of stuff but each of those thematic points also has more that you can kind of chew on if you'd like to right it is it is exposing itself to you in a manner but it is still kind of keeping just enough, uh, you know, in its hand, not shown, uh, so that like, if you want to do a kind of deeper dive onto like the idea of like, uh, uh, Verkmeister temperament and like specifically what, uh, uh, kind of the Georgi, the uncle character is talking about when he talks about like, 
uh, uh, you know, kind of music theory abandoning uh, this kind of uh, uh, less pure, but kind of more uh, uh, harmonious in its own way, uh, way of like thinking about music and the distance between notes and whatnot. Um, I think that the, like, there is enough there to chew on, but at the same time, if you just like, if you just like watch that character, you know, talk about it, I think it is very clear to understand how that notion fits into the social unrest that is happening, right? Especially juxtaposed by everything else you see in the movie, right? It fits yes. so so clearly into the larger ideas at play. Right. It the 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 symbol of and I think Bellatar is like generally good at this, but like the the symbol of, you know, our main character like slowly walking around this whale uh, and like the only like light source is like shining down on like its eye and he's like as he's confronting it is like very obvious, right? It's even more obvious when like just a few minutes later, not well, quite a bit later, uh, he is, you know, uh, uh, back in that trailer and he is like standing in the shadows, like listening to the prince talk and like he is now the only uh, uh, kind of the similar thing lit up on the left side of the screen, right? Um, all that is like very obvious, but like, you can really think about that stuff for like hours and hours if you want to. Um, and I think that's because Bellatar is like delivering themes and that, that are uh, uh, kind of obvious, but also touch into some sort of core aspect of history and humanity. Um, and he is also, I think a good enough visual filmmaker that those images just kind of, your mind kind of keeps coming back to them. And to the point where like, I saw this movie very early because I knew I was going to be completely busy this weekend. And I'd pretty much just been thinking about different shots yeah. from this movie over the weekend. Uh, uh, and so I don't know. I, I, I think Bellatar is just like very skilled in that manner in a way that a lot of people fail at well, doing. Right. And, and also not to sound pretentious about it, but there is some sense here in which like, I think Bellatar is like an elementally emotive filmmaker. I think that he is interested in communicating deep sort of like human emotional truths. And I think that there is something to be said about like, yeah, like, like the themes Bellatar is playing with might sound obvious if stated, but that's why he made the movie that he did and didn't state them. Right. Like, I think that in a way, the, the first, um, scene is a perfect example right because it's it's janos he is explaining a lunar eclipse a total eclipse um to hungarian um bar regulars basically uh to entertain them right and he has he has these um these drunks basically like reenact the um the turning of of our galaxy right it's he has one of them be the sun he has one of them be uh earth and has one of them be the moon so that he can illustrate this and um then he illustrates an eclipse he talks about how frightening an eclipse would be especially on sort of a emotive elemental level how it feels so wrong it feels like the heavens are splitting open that everything is coming apart and then when he gets to the other end of that um he says we are all united by having survived this experience together and come out the other side and then everyone else in the room starts dancing along with the the rest of the drunks who were illustrating his point right and that's again like you had said a very obvious image right and one that might even sound trite to express this way where Janos's philosophy is basically that it's always darkest before the dawn that uh like the 
the arc of history is long, but it, it bends toward reunification and that in the end, human beings can come back together. They can understand one another. They can feel um, exalted by the beauty of life in the universe. The rest of this movie is essentially a refutation of Janos's point, or at least a an existential challenge to Janos. Um, uh, Natalie made a really funny joke where she was like, um, I kept thinking during this movie about some cursed dude who would be like, yeah, Workmeister Harmonies is actually a coming of age story if you think about it. And I was like, I think I'm kind that of. guy. I think I'm that guy, Natalie. <laughs> that, that's what well, I said. I was like, I like, yes. I, but I think that they, that one is, is sort of a perfect example of like, I think Cody and I were both crying at the end of that scene uh, because I found it so fucking unbelievably beautiful, especially like the bartender's like, all right, everybody out bars closing. And Janos goes like, Hey, it's not over yet. Like, Everybody's and obviously got that one friend you can't bring to the fucking bars. <laughs> it's exactly. 2, 2 a.m. Everybody's trying to catch an Uber. What does he do? Lunar Starts lecturing about the fucking cosmos yep. every fucking time. And, uh, and to describe it the way I did, doesn't do it justice, right? And I feel that way about this entire movie, right? It's like, with any art, it's like, hey, if like, if Bellatar could say what he wanted to say any other way, he would. This is the best way he has to say what he wants to say, right? I know that that's sort of like pretentious art bro 101, but it's like, I, I think that there there is something to the images here and to the to way the story is told and conveyed that evoke something that wouldn't be evoked otherwise, right? That couldn't be evoked otherwise. Um, also, that that's all to say that I think the reason why it feels more immediate to me has a lot to do with Janos. Like, I, I made that joke that Natalie made, but, like, I think a big part of why this movie works so, so well for me is because Janos is such a um, helpful way in Right. Like, like, I think I can understand the stakes here and understand the story so well here because we have Janos as sort of our POV into the story, especially following that first scene where it's like, oh, okay. Like, I know who this guy is. I know what he believes. I know this type of person, right? This, this sort of fundamental ultimate optimist, regardless of how, uh, terrible the world might be until you arrive at his final destination um and now like i can understand how that frames up and informs every scene to follow and also informs all of the filmmaking techniques that we're seeing um happen into and around him right like like what does it mean that right after he says it's not over like that we watch janos walk home alone for a full minute in the dark right and what does the rest of the movie mean um, to Janos in particular? And like you said, Aaron, I think that uh, this is just one more element that you could examine. You could examine this movie from a lot of levels. But I think a big reason why it works so well for me is because Janos anchors it in such a concrete way that I that it really felt communicative to me um, in an immediate sense. I also, I one of the things you mentioned about like, you know, I don't think any of the characters at any point like explicitly like vocally like refute like Yanos's uh, 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 kind of optimism. Obviously, by the end of the film, he's in a you know a mental institution and he's like 
you know, I think that like that kind well, of well, and ironically, the one the, the one guy that. that that maybe does refute him is trying to bring him back around, right? Like maybe yeah. his like mentor slash foil is the one who's trying to be like, hey man, like it's gonna be okay, it's all right, it's all right. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I but even something like that, like I think that there are, you know, I I I keep coming back to like the the again like relatively obvious image of like. Uh, there, there's a scene where uh, we see uh, Tunde, uh, Tunde kind of, you know, having this like romantic tryst with uh, the police captain. Right. And like they are kind of like drunk and they are dancing together and he has a, a gun in his hand. It's which so he's, fucking like, upsetting, dude. <laughs> enticed by. Um, and like the way the camera is like set up, it is like this kind of direct on shot of them dancing like in front of their bed. And then the very next scene is, uh, uh, you know, Janos uh, being told, like, go over and uh, take care of uh, the police captain's children, right? Who are, like, his successors, right? And the camera is set up exactly the same. There is a bed straight ahead. The two kids are... They're having a temper Clearly the worst shits of all (laughs) time. Yes, they are jumping around this house with, like, guns and weapons everywhere. They are making loud noises. They are yelling, I think we are going to be hard on you. Hard on you over and over again. Yeah, it's such a funny scene. And it is so clearly, like, like one, it is, like, obviously comparing, like, the, the two characters we just saw in the previous scene, it is saying they are basically akin to children, right? Uh, the other thing it is saying is, like, oh, these are these are the children, right? Like, these are the, the next generation. Like, we know what's going to happen there, right? Uh, uh, these are the kids of the, the guy who is in power in this Which, town. Particularly when you think about this movie's, like, relationship to cycles of history. Oh, sh- it makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Right. Right. When you, you know, hung- Hungary, like somewhere again, like somewhere that I'm not, uh, uh, you know, intimately familiar with the like the history of, but like, you know, I'm aware of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. I'm aware of what happened there. I'm aware that they were on the side of the Axis powers in World War II, right? Post World War II, they kind of swung in the opposite direction, and they were, um, you know, uh, uh, mostly marked by a lot of like Stalinist communist movements. A lot of those didn't go very well, right? Um, I think it's, you know, again, I think it's like pretty clear what Tar is is saying with those characters, uh, uh, kind of existing in that manner. And it's, I don't, I've read some reviews that are kind of optimistic about this movie in general, but maybe from like a, I have a hard time with spiritual sense. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) I, I want to believe, right? Like, I think that, I think that I would love to produce a reading of this that is optimistic. I think that there is something to be said about the final shot with the whale. Um, but, uh, similarly to you, like, I think I can't quite get there the way a lot of people are. I mean, you know, the whale's no longer in a, in this kind of enclosed in box being charged, uh, for in order to view, right? Like, I guess you can see it from the outside now. And it's, there's it's maybe been something... de- deprived of its power in, in a yes. way, right? I, I, uh, I, I do think that like Bellatar in general is someone who like, I think intellectually is kind of a pessimist and like you see his films and I think they are generally pessimistic and he is pessimistic about the future, but also very pessimistic and kind of cynical in his portrayal of uh, the people in his film. I mean, Satan Tango's movie about literally just like the dumbest group of villagers just being conned for like eight hours straight by like this, not even that charming kind of huckster. Right. Um, and this movie is like kind of similar with the idea of the circus coming into town. Uh, but I do think that there is something like pure about the images that he uses 
like outside of those thematic moments that does make it feel like there's maybe something there. Like he, he's not just saying that, you know, he, he's saying that like history is not like all these moments. Like he, I think he's interested in examining those moments and like when they turn bad. But I think there is still the, the kind of idea in his films that like that there, there is something else like not right now and not for these characters. And there's a, maybe a better you. future, right? Right. Yeah, yes. I think I agree with that. I think I can maybe see that from the ending. Again, having read some reviews that are hopeful, but it's yes. it's a it's a hard one for me for sure. It's kind of similar. Think it's to, mostly pessimistic, which is interesting because that that lines up with the the story of Janos, right? Where it's like he was this guy who was like, "Hey, man, like no matter how bad things get, there is going to be a brighter tomorrow." And like the answer is like. Maybe, but holy shit, are things going to be bad? <laughs> Mostly. Like, and maybe so much so that you won't even recognize the better future when it comes. Truly, yeah. Uh, to maybe wrap a nice bow on, on the Janos thread, which I think is, I mean, important because, as we said, he is kind of our, our way in. He's an unassuming POV character, but like the more we see from the first like 20, 30 minutes of the movie when we are like, Purely like, I mean, with him, but like we don't stay in any any one place for too long of a period of time. Like there's like that intro scene. We think like, wow, this guy is like maybe weirdly enlightened or just really drunk um, or both. Uh, But like there's like there's there's a, a twinkle in this guy's eye that's perhaps naivete. It's perhaps optimism. It's perhaps um you know, like he is kind of, uh, you were talking about like the, 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 the shithead, like sons of cops that we see. And then like every other adult and like Janos is something of like an in-between generational, like represent like the transitory period from, you know, A to B. Uh, and like, as he, I don't know, as he maneuvers through this world, like everybody, you know, they greet him with a, a nice warm, like, oh, how's, how's my Janos? How's our Janos? There is like you, as it goes, like you sort of read into like a condescension, like I, I can't help, like, especially maybe it is just by virtue of like thinking about this movie more and like, especially with how it, it turns up or how things turn out. He just, he feels like this prop bottle at like a carnival booth that everybody is taking turns, like setting atop the pile just to like chuck a a brick at him and, and knock him down a little bit. Like there, there's this weird, I don't know, like I, maybe it's like the inevitability like the of the situation mascot, right absolutely yeah, yeah kind of like there's like everybody is like somewhat and maybe it's just a, a, again thinking about um the uh cultural intonations saying aunt and uncle speaking of which uncle jason just hopped on the call speaking uh, of some fucker coming to town and talking some shit uncle yeah jason, you know I can recall the last 45 minutes Wow, he was here the whole time. He was he was um, waiting patiently. His hand's I, been up. We've just I, been booting him. They have been. I've been clapping. Can I get everybody to clap just once to keep my? I think your microphone is not set correctly. I imagine I hate that to do I'm this mid episode. This. Yeah, I'm trying Probably. to figure it out. You know, it, we're, 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 we're rolling. Change it. Can you? Uh, can you? I do don't we, think you can. Do we need fix to clap? Is it coming through here? Yeah. Yes. It is. Yeah. Very, yes. Okay, I'll just yep. be cognizant of that if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you want us to 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 clap? Do you want to do a countdown or something? So I'll count up from. One to three. After three, we clap. So what would be four? One, two, three. Cool. Thank you. Continue. I'll pick up. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, 
yeah, the the sense that uh, I just I don't care. We can leave that in the episode. I'm not going to give you a clean way into this. Um, the 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 warm greetings, like there, it feels like there's a double sidedness to like he like Janos is propping the town upright with with like the hustle and bustle of him, like that you know that that rise and grind sort of lifestyle. Like just you just wish this dude could take a nap from how much work he's been putting in, like putting putting the elders to sleep delivering newspapers or whatever it is that he's doing. Um, and there is also like from how much he props, again, props this village up. Like there's a sort of like resentment that you can kind of feel but reading between the lines of just like this dude is not like, he hasn't seen the helicopter yet. Right. <laughs> like there's, um, I, and I don't know, maybe it's too harsh to read it as like you, the, the town's elders, the, the aunts and the uncles and the what have you's want to, to, knock knock that glint out of out of his system like eliminate that sparkle from his eye they don't want to hear another 3 a.m discussion about how the universe works um but i mean that's what that's what we get by the, by the that, end that i mean there's got to be so sick of that shit dude yeah that like every fucking night so fucking pit. it's like yeah it's like, it was literally like 10 minutes straight times. yeah yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess uh, maybe, maybe transitioning. I don't know if, if um, you were wanting to j- jump in, Harry, with the kind of like the idea of like the, the pure images or, or, or something sure. else. I, well, yeah. I was, I wanted to respond to what Aaron said about Bellatar's pe- pessimism, but I think that your evaluation of Yano and, and his relationship to the village is a really good place to, to go with that, which is that I think that it's, it's odd, right? Because I agree that Bellatar is, a, is, a pretty pessimistic filmmaker, both about history and about people. And yet he also has a great humanist warmth about him. Um, I think that, that this movie has a great affection for a lot of its characters and maybe even a sympathy for some of the worst characters that it has to offer. I'm thinking of like the, the uncle's wife, the police captain, even the rioters in some way. And I think, and, and again, I'm, I'm like going back to like, this is the sort of thing that sounds kind of trite to describe, but you'll have to trust me, listener. It doesn't, it didn't feel trite when we were watching the movie. Um, I, I think that like, like a lot of filmmakers, Bellatar is doing something really broad with sort of like what it means to be human in that, like all of these people are united, whether they know it or not by the futility of their existence, right? About how much they are afraid of death, and how inevitable death is and how small they are before it. I hate to keep going back to the the first scene, but like even the first scene is such a good example of like the reason why all of the people are united at the end of Janos's sort of like speech. It's not because they've come to some great understanding about the universe and their place in it. It's because they survived the eclipse, right? This thing that didn't actually pose them any danger, but nonetheless felt very scary. The fact that they all got through it together made them all feel really good because they got one over on death once. Right. And I, I think that that anxiety about death and this feeling that that there's something wrong, right, that there's something not fair that's encapsulated by so many different things in this movie. Janos's philosophy, the prince, um, even the eponymous Verkmeister harmonies, right, which are all about how like, hey, like this one guy fucked up music. And ever since then, there's something wrong that I can't quite put my finger on, but like it's affecting history and it's affecting how people relate to one another. And it's affecting how I feel when I get out of bed every morning. And if we could just go back, we could fix that shit. Right. And like everybody has their own sort of like little fix it scheme, right? Like the, uh, the uncle's uh, ex-wife, 
thinks that fascism is going to solve it, right? That if, if she can just sort of like uh, sleep with the police captain and get him to do what she wants him to do, that'll work out. Uh, the prince has this idea that like if we destroy everything, that will give us a catharsis that is transcendental, that will allow us to understand ourselves finally. Um Janos thinks that it's always darkest before the dawn. We're all sort of wrong, right? And we're all sort of like really futile in the face of what the truth is. Like, I think the the great line that I said at the beginning, um, which is from one of the, the diary of the writer, which is just that like everything we think and everything we will think is ridiculous and it's wrong. And that's why we're just going to destroy everything, right? But even these guys, right? Like the during that terrible harrowing take where the rioters are destroying everything what finally gets them to stop is just that they see a naked old man in a bathtub who's sort of like very afraid and they very clearly sort of like see themselves in him which seems like kind of a quaint like that now yeah yeah like 2024 no, I mean, uh-huh. looking at that it's like oh come on Bella. it's a, it's a little precious beat right? the shit out of that uh, guy with a lead pipe what are you talking about but but you get <laughs> the I- not stopping yes you I get, get the idea, idea right is, is that like oh, oh like even this even despite all of our rage we're still just a rat in a cage if you will uh in the words of uh smashing pumpkins <laughs> that's gonna be the note think? we go out on <laughs> Yeah, Jason, what's no, what would you think like, of? I, I don't know if you covered this already, but overall, it's and I don't know where you've gone so far, so you probably tread, tread this ground already. Um, it is like without a better understanding of the movie itself, I I come away with this like what's the term I'm thinking of? Like two opposing sides, not a not a dialectic, but basically two like opposing approaches to that's the what same, a dialectic is. Maybe I'm describing it incorrectly. Like a Batman Dialogue. and the Joker situation. Well, basically, sure. like the people of the town. And Janos, force unstoppable object. Yes. Being like diametrically opposed in how they approach like the, the unknown, the cosmos, the, the, that, which is above. And with that, which is not like material condition. This is the broadest, the broadest like uh, lens I, I can apply to it. Cause I get lost when I get more specific about what is going on and what, what, you know, symbolically uh, it, it, what, you know, symbolic through lines Tara is trying to put into this movie. Um, but it's like the, at a certain point, these people, become unable to perform that sort of like engagement and interest. There's that intro scene, which is set up, I think, to sort of fail uh, by the beer splashing, the rotty old sweaty, gross beer splashing the um, the kiln uh, to, you know, to douse the flame and leading, uh, and then leading into a fairly like lighthearted, mostly lighthearted, uh, ends on a positive note scene of Janos explaining this like very, uh, inspirational celestial uh, concept of, you know, the death of the universe and the rebirth of it all. And like the restarting of the sun, etc. And like nothing in the movie plays that and nothing in the rest of the movie and the narrative and the way that he interacts with the people of the town plays that out at all. So what you're saying about like their ability to like their recognition of what it is to be human and like the reaction to that is like just furthering that none of them ever had like a hope of, understanding yeah. how he understands i guess earlier uh, in our podcast we said that this entire movie is sort of a refutation of the first scene right it's like janos is like he espouses his philosophy and then the rest of the movie is like you sure motherfucker like yeah, we're gonna like we're every, gonna try you every time that he expresses some interest over the whale being like this figure of or this image of god's you know creativity and wonder everybody's like I don't see it, man. <laughs> and it's just well, and it's bad. It's yeah. it's actually evil, and it's coming to kill us. Um, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with the whale kind of thing. Yeah, 
I, I, I like am just to get my top level thoughts. I'm uh, blown away by how this movie actually like felt like it sustained at a certain level. The only other tar I've seen was damnation. And that's just like a, a slow and constant descent throughout, I think where this had just by nature of having like more actual narrative, like, elements and uh non-diegetic pieces like we talked like also about how it has a central character right like Janos yeah. is like a really helpful anchor for that yeah that and its use of soundtrack um it's somewhat more dynamic camera despite being you know still the language shots that those movies are known for i still remember like distinct shots from this that aren't just like a panning there's like a twisting uh, of him, of Janos, who turns out to be in the hospital during that scene you were just talking about where they brutalize a bunch of people and they give up when they see the naked old guy. Um, just a lot more dynamism to this one. A lot, like I see why this is hailed above Tar's other work and above a lot of other movies of the uh, you know end of the 20th, beginning of the 21st century, um, because it like has those pieces that you would just normally associate. Like I could see, I say this as not not to like denigrate, but like Seth Zarati, friend of the podcast, a uh, frequent guest, is not somebody who draw, finds himself drawn to movies from before like the 70s because of the lack of like dynamism of the camera, because of the lack of motion and cutting, uh, because that's what he was raised on, because that's what he is very familiar with. It's what's comfortable. It's what allows him to focus. Um, and I could see him watching this movie and getting it. You know, uh, it's like I could imagine this being his like the conversation for a person like him. He the conversation turned him around on 70s movies. And I imagine this could turn him around on. Um, 2000s Hungarian slow cinema. <laughs> now this movie came out in 71, so that fits the bill. Right. That's what we talked Wait, about. Wait, 2000? Too, like every every yeah. time I hear 2000 that this movie came out in 2000, I feel like I'm losing my fucking mind, right? It's like, <laughs> wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just my overall thought. Sounds like okay. you guys have covered ground, so thank you for allowing me to retread some of that. Um, of course. I won't uh, take the reins from uh, Podmaster Code. Were there any other Anybody I've got, I guess, one more thing. I don't know if this is it. a junk drawer thought or something, but... Um, if it is, I've got the cue at the ready. Cool, thank you. Uh, I Like I said, I don't have a great understanding of this movie's political allegory. Um, I will say, though, that like under the auspices of what I've, what we and uh, Jason just described about the sort of like fear of death, fear of impermanence, fear of uh, futility and impotence that permeates this entire movie. Does it do a, a like eerily good job of describing how fascism can happen? Right. Which is basically that somebody like the Prince, like, gives you something to direct all of your angst and rage toward uh, usually um, some marginalized member of the public that can't defend themselves very well in this case, sort of like the, the idea of forward progress of human society in general, just to make it really obvious in this movie's case, when people are extremely unhappy about the lives that they're living and they can't figure out why it's very easy to turn that sort of directionless rage and anxiety toward an object to be destroyed it's not that the the woman um the uncle's uh ex-wife she didn't orchestrate the circus coming to town but she benefited from it right by the end of this movie she controls the town basically and she's declared martial law with the police captain as her sort of like figurehead she she did that by by basically leading the terrain and understanding the tension that existed and the rioting the the explosion that was to come and strategically figuring out how she could manipulate that outpour to her own end not unlike 
very obvious political figures uh, that are still extant and wildly active in our American politics today have continued to do. I guess if there is like a political praxis to assign to it, it or at least that I picked up on, was going to be, again, really simple braining. Just got done with a long bike ride after a long company dinner. But like the whale as stand in for the like ineffectual state for the um, like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm no expert in Hungarian communist rule at, you know, before the two thousands, so to speak. Um, but like that as an object of, I think you were talking, Harry, I was trying to write down exactly what you're saying, but uh, like an, as an object of their, um, of, of the people's hatred of their, like of their, uh, you know, sort of embodying that, I'm, I'm of two minds of it with it because the the whale itself is I think most clearly and easily identified as like uh, synecdoche for the distraction of the idea of progress like you were saying like like that that the prince was going to try and leverage the people's uh, ire against but the whale itself if it is standing in for that as I'm reading it I don't know how to square that against the fact that the whale like it sits there rotting sure but it's not like ever dismantled directly it is only exposed it is still shown it is still a tool of profit for the prince and his uh ringmaster so to speak um so i'm having a hard time like putting those ideas up and maybe that's kind of the point is that uh you know how could this thing that is so widely reviled not how could it survive in a certain way like nothing does survive period at the end of this movie but um of other things like you know the hospital's burning down and people's lives are being taken and the square is on fire but the whale thing remains a thing that's eminently destructible uh, remains. And it like in some form it's sitting there rotting slowly, but is, is that then like the point, if this is a stand in, if this is a symbolic, this is an allegory for those things that Tar was trying to get at the, you know, object of their, of, of the people's ire as pointed by the prince is that like, does that have a consistency? Am I on to anything there at all? Or is the feeling of the pod in a different direction on that? I, my my reading of the ending, uh, despite I, we were talking about like the the possibility to kind of read the ending, I think kind of however you want, right? Or at least the symbol of the whale in the square at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my my kind of reading is is a pessimistic one, right? That that yeah, that that whale is is kind of pretty fucked up. It's rotting. It has basically been rejected uh, by the the townsfolk. Um, and I, I think that's like just straight up, not a good thing. I don't think there's, there's much positive stuff to read into that. I think that that it ties into, um, it ties into the main kind of metaphor being, being made, uh, with the comparison to like Verkmeister and his harmonies. Right. I think that like, you know, the, the speech that Georgi gives or like the recording he's making, it's like recording or like a, some sort of radio uh, broadcast or something. He's podding, dude. He, he's the first podcaster. He's, he's, he's old school, like music theorist Potter. Yes, uh, I mean he is. He is making like the argument that like Verkmeister's like at, attempts to uh, kind of um, you know mathematically kind of break down like the the sounds of the universe into kind of more uh, kind of like neatly. Uh, uh, kind of portioned, um, you know, notes and whatnot, specifically with like tuning, um, which he thought at the time was like representative uh, uh, of like divinity in a way, right? Right. And or- I think that like Georgi is saying that like 
it, it, it is more like mathematically precise in a manner, um, but it is like wrong, right? And like, like and it's introduced to, like, a metaphysical problem to, in the world. <laughs> yes, and I think that like the comparison is like um, you know uh, 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 Hungary, probably specifically, but like the world in general, uh, with like you know the beginning of kind of a more modern industrialized era. I think like the point is that, like we've done a more and more efficient job of like sectioning up our world into little pieces, right? But we've like done it according to some sort of a formula that's like inherently flawed in some small way. And like the people of this town and like the the really like poor destitute people of Hungary are like the ones who don't fit neatly into that musical scale, right? They're the ones that like the note sounds just a little bit off when maybe it shouldn't, right? And like Georgi like makes the comparison to like earlier times where like our ancestor our ancestors like played around with instruments, you know, they had like hides, like, you know, just stretched out over rocks and logs and whatnot. Um, and maybe we only, we only played uh, a fraction of the scale that we do now, but like we were more really in tune with like nature and we, we did not try and like play the music that, that was like the divine because that was like in the realm of the divine. Right. And in attempting to do so, like we went wrong somewhere and everybody knows that like something is just a little off and everybody kind of feels it. Right. Right. Um, and I think that like, you know, the whale getting fucked up is like, yeah, we're, we're not going back to that. Right. We, we, we're going to keep trying to like tune this just a little bit more to figure it out. But like, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the movie, uh, our main character is like sitting in the insane asylum. And Georgi comes and is like, yeah, we retune that piano. So it's it's in, what is it, mo- standard tuning, modern tuning, whatever yeah. is the the kind of modern temperament, right? Um, and it's like, yeah, that, that piano that could only play these pieces uh, in Werkmeister or before pr- previous, you know, prior to Werkmeister temperament, like that has been retuned to kind of fit into the modern standard. And I think it's like just entirely pessimistic in my reading, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't know that I fully counter. I also read this movie as pretty pessimistic, right? Or at least as as challenging to uh, or bracing of optimistic ideas. Um, but if I can read the the ending as optimistic, it would just be that throughout the movie, the whale is so mythical in its power to both Janos and to the people of the town. Um, this sort of like empty symbol that may mean what whatever you want it to mean right like to to Janos it's a symbol of the wonder of creation and he wants everyone else to see it that way but to um the people of the town it's a symbol of the terror of creation and like finally now that we've reached modernity we can understand that like mankind's true purpose is to destroy not to preserve and that's why these people do that even that is rendered as impotent right And so, like, if there is an optimism, it's that, like, fascism is also a failure, right? It doesn't actually help reconcile the human experience. The whale is not anything. Ultimately, the whale is just a rotting, stuffed whale. And after all of this sound and fury signifying nothing um, in the form of the rioters and in the form of Janos about the whale, it's abandoned in the town square where it continues to rot, right? And the Werkmeister Harmony uncle goes up to it and he looks at it and he recognizes it for what it is, which is a symbol of something that is past and and no longer has any power over anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that like there is maybe a suggestion, however slight, that the 
rendering of things that were once powerful as powerless might be itself optimistic, right? But like I like you said, uh, Aaron, there is a uh, it's difficult to square that with where Janos RPOV ends up, right? Because it's sort of like what is the price? of this happening, right? Like it's not, it's not that every, everybody gets through it. Janos doesn't get to see uh, the other side of his total eclipse. He is, he is destroyed by the eclipse itself. Um, and there's sort of, there's a, a word of warning in that as well. Right. Yeah. There's like, it is powerless as you say, uh, but it is like, also it is by the end revealed, like the, visual motif of it being in a box when we first see it and being dragged along and that shot that seems to go on forever of just the corrugated metal hiding something and then when we finally see it it's just the tail and we see bits and starts and you know like noir lighting on it right and then by the end it is just like open in a foggy square uh sort of literally sitting there like a dead but worth noting that the fog keeps rolling in right so again coming back to cycles it's like oh like this thing was revealed but you know fascists have retaken the town uh fog is rolling in yeah that which was might happen again (laughs) in a a way though like as as itself and i know it's this is why it's easy to see both like the whale as like you said nothing but like literally nothing and powerless and to see it as like, oh, this is the linchpin symbology of the thing is like, it is revealed before everybody. Like that's, we don't see like the townspeople putting down their pitchforks when they see it revealed for what it is. That's pretty on the nose, maybe even more on the nose than just like giving up your guns when you see a naked guy. But like everybody sees it. Georgi, who was the, one of the more vocal and like clear headed of the, uh, against the like uh, prescriptive order of Verkmeister Harmony um, of whatever the, previous was it equal temperament you said aaron uh like whatever he was into the most vocal uh, opponent of that even he comes by the whale recognizes it for what it is and walks away and lets it you know sort of collect mold in the in the fog um i think that there's just something if i had to pin like is it optimistic or pessimistic ending it's that like there is a weird middle ground in that like you said it could be you could read it either way you want um, but I think just like the point is it is revealed. It is now to be done with as it will, because there is no mystery. There is no like, uh, cosmological fear or, uh, you know, rejection of it. It is, it is what it is. And you all see this, everybody like the boil over itself can be revealing. Right. And I, I think, I think that's how I have to see it in order to like pull out a cogent, like single political point about it is like, Hey, the job of this story was to reveal, not to like f- force you to think, not or excuse me, not to like direct the or it wasn't didactic in a way. It was more like exculpatory um, as as a journey, as like an exploration of this descriptive, like you said, rather than prescriptive. Sure, I guess I I often come back to those that uh, dichotomy in when I'm watching movies, and it's both limiting, but in this case, I think illuminating uh, for for this one. Um, so I'm glad I watched it with that lens. Uh, I too am wrapped on thoughts. Record time for me. I have a 27 minute mark on my end. Uh, I assume wow. the show's different. Yeah. I, let's see. What have I got? 1, 16, 37, 38, 39. Um, oh, this parting, is fun. This is Kimono, good podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Well, it, clearly Harry wants the end of this episode to be pessimistic as opposed to optimistic. How will it end up? We'll find out soon enough. But are there any other uh, kind of grander thoughts from anybody here, any of you fine gentlemen, before we get into the the end game 
of this of this little program. Hmm. Have you seen that meme from Endgame where Ant Man is like, "Is this a junk hey, thought?" K character, uh, I need your help to just to just distract Kang or whatever, and it's just like Emma Stone and poor things, and it's him saying, "Hey, poor things, I need you to distract Kang." <laughs> I have seen that; it's pretty good. <laughs> and people I haven't are just seen doing that, it, with, but it sounds uh, pretty good. Hey, uh, I forget her name from past lives i need you to distract kang it's just all well, wait the, wouldn't like it just be hey doing. past lives then was it that if, one <laughs> in the meme okay i'm just gonna do this uh that wasn't a junk yeah. thought that was a an evening thought um my junk thought is thank you so much for uh waiting for me to um for not ending the episode before i could i could join in um i do actually maybe have a thought uh but i'm not ready for it because it's on my phone sorry Hey, not a problem. Uh, I, d- I can't remember if this is when we usually plug this stuff. I feel like it's either at the very beginning or the very end of the episode. But before I forget, um, a lot of what we talked about, I think, pairs pretty well with uh, a write-up from Luke Mosher on Parasphere. You should check that out. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, a Whale of a Tale, Bellatar's uh, Verkmeister Harmonies. Um, yeah, like I said, I think it complements a lot of the sorts of things that, that we got in, uh, into here today. Um, so definitely read that and support Parisphere. Get those clicks a click in, Mr. Daphnis. You have your thought. Uh, yeah. Uh, one whale of a tale. Thank you so much, Luke, for that headline. Not a thing that I would have assumed anybody would have said about this movie. Um, but secondarily, uh, my only juncture thought is that that is maybe the single most disgusting on-screen kiss I've ever seen. It is truly abhorrent to watch both, both sides of it. Um, they are really doing very very bad jobs at kissing and i think they're trying to be very very obvious about it being ugly and yucky and bad and uh, i go back to a thought that harry shared on our barton fink episode hundreds and hundreds of episodes ago but like it made me think disgustingly about my body like the horrible roiling insides of the human form and that scene did that for me it really is disgusting um i will sort of like it's like Anti Tampopo, where like Tampopo confronts you with how silly and absurd food is uh, in terms of like how much we love it and think about it compared to the mechanics of eating it. But it ultimately arrives at like, and isn't that beautiful? Isn't that yeah. wonderful that that's the human experience? This is like the opposite, where it's like <laughs> it's like a Cronenberg thing, where it's like, yeah, kissing is super weird when you think about it, and isn't it fucking? perverted as fuck <laughs> that we ever like associated it with anything that we did just the the gnashing together of lips and mouths and teeth and fucking jowls like that's horrifying to think about it, it you really know? is it's the tempopo verkmeister uh, <laughs> dichotomy like here disgusting thing about the body is it going to be horny is it going to be hot or is it going to be just like lean into how fucking yucky this is and here here we have the verkmeister side obviously i will say uh in defense of that scene, I got to make a very funny joke during it, which is that uh, the kiss lasts like maybe four minutes. Like it, it feels like it goes on forever. And around two minutes in, uh, the woman just goes ahead and puts the police hat back on the dude so that they can keep making out. And I did. It was the I think it was the only thing I said to Cody the entire time we were watching the two and a half hour movie. I just leaned over and said, the hat stays on. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, which was fun. Um, let's see. Junk drawer thoughts. Uh, shout outs to Yanos' uh, hair. Uh, doing a lot of really great heavy lifting in the acting department for him. Um, I, I really liked that. No he carry, looks though. like no one else in the universe. He, he, yeah, you, I was you, trying Your first to. thought is like, oh, this guy looks like every white guy I've ever seen. 
around this age in a movie. But then you see his facial features, and you're like, I don't know. You know, he looks the like only he, thing he looks like doesn't I would make any sense. He looks like I would have carved him out of clay and used him in a stop motion like Christmas movie. He looks like wow. that caricature. He has a weirdly pointed, like yes. certain features are angled in a way. It's very odd. It's hard I to described explain. him as like a Game of Thrones extra. You yeah. know, like some yeah. the guy that yes. looks like he would belong in like the medieval times or whatever. Like high fantasy, yes, he's like jawline. reeks yeah. like extra when the, that actor is not able to like the fucking, film. What is and that movie? Like, he's just in the background, or that uh, that game Kingdom Come Deliverance or whatever that your brother loves, <laughs> where you play as just yes, a he is the main character. Peasant. He's the main he character. He is the main of character yeah. of Kingdom Come Deliverance. Yes. Delicious. What other junk drawer thoughts y'all have? Or is that it? We're ending on that. We've ended on worse. That, yeah, we have ended on worse. That truly was my only junk drawer thought was the yucky, yucky kiss. Everything else is right on the table, you know? All right. Going once, going twice. Closed for business. Shake a shake a. Really quick, uh, we've got a couple more segments here. Uh, one quick one Other Loves We've Tried Before. I uh, can't remember if there's a before or not. Um, from the year 2000, I hope I did this right. Um, uh, episode 106, we covered a little movie called In the Mood for Love. Maybe you've heard of it. Fuck, that uh, was episode 106? I'm trying not to think about it as we speak. Uh, but episode 175, uh, Cherry Falls, with special guest uh, Audrey Kallerstrom. Um Great app, great film. IMO. Three equally great movies. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Uh, and and uh, well, I, I think a couple steps down, we got to look uh, to our final 2000 film that we've covered, episode 219, Yee Yee, with special guest Aaron Grossman. Um, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, uh, all, was, all great films. That was the one right. where we said Yee Yee with two Aaron best picture runner ups. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Cherry Falls and Yee Yee. Yeah, it's where wild. will Verkmeister harmonies fit? In the Golden Berries. Who's Who to say? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add an addendum. Um, technically, I'm sure you saw this, Cody, but technically, what, episode 136, you could position as a movie from 2000 because it got its first Western release in 2000. Yeah, Legend I, of Drunken I, Master. I, I, figured, I figured you were... I chose not to, but I, I thought about it. That's worth bringing, bringing up, that that's... I'm happy to be your... Um, what is like a supporting character in football? tight end what like the, if, the supporting if, if character in the, the sport if football the takes it over into the end zone what am i you could be any number of people like any position can score a touchdown that's what's i'm the fucking wild fridge, about baby. Football. uh what about what about like racing aaron what would be a supporting character in the sport of racing i mean if you're the each, pit i mean crew? each constructor <laughs> has <laughs> two drivers so if you're just the worst driver in a constructor like if you're if you're sergio perez checo on the red bull for example max verstappen uh who who you know won the the wdc last year by the, like record setting amounts hmm. then you're you're right. number two you know your your job then is kind of to play the role of uh, a kind of defending your your you know your teammate uh who's ahead of you defending him from any kind of potential threats that, that might be behind you. So, and Checo's done an okay job of that from time to time, but not, mm-hmm. not as much recently. There's a lot of talk, him, him kind of being gone, if not sometime this year, then certainly next year. Um, uh, I, Cody, I wait. had one jump to thought that I forgot. Oh, sorry. I wasn't done. Oh, <laughs> no, that's fine. You go. Uh, I just, can we open up the junk drawer real quick? One, yeah, one more one time. Sec. Thanks. 
Thanks. I will say uh, it's unfortunate that this got such a laugh, but I think it's mostly having to do with the juxtaposition of the movie rather than any legitimate misogynistic feeling in the crowd. But uh, I laughed very heartily, and I think the the rest of the crowd did when all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, Janos's uncle, the Verkmeister Harmonies guy, is talking about um, his, his ex-wife, and he's just like, I'm going to bust that slut's skull open. <laughs> it's just like for a, for a movie that is often so sort of – philosophical and abstract yeah all of a sudden for something like that to have to happen where he's just like that fucking bitch i'm gonna (laughs) split her head open and it's like holy shit dude like what just hit what what movie am i watching it was it was very uh bracing that's all i got um cody you can go ahead and close that up again unless you've got something to say aaron uh i was i was just gonna say the only like every time you say the word bitch. I just think of Stephen A. Smith saying it now, <laughs> the way that he said, was it about the, like the guy he's rivaling with or whatever? I don't know the yeah. whole story there, but he just I've says it was intentionally such, not kept up with that. With such vicious. Dude, I, unfortunately I fully think Stephen A. Smith is the funniest human being on the planet. <laughs> he definitely has one of the funniest radio voices of all time, which is the delivery. Anyway, uh, I think the junk drawer is sitting open, right? Yeah, well, because you had more Oops. junk to say, but you're really only was. Stephen A. Smith, a uh, f- friend of the pod. No, just kidding. He never will be. Uh, we do have one final segment, if my if my notes, my noties are correct. Um, I will gently toss this one to, uh, I guess, Jason and or Harry, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. do it. I'm just to take this. I you know, I, I really did <laughs> wonder the next 10 if, seconds. if we got to noties before Jason showed up, if you would sing it along with me, or would you have me do it myself? I would me? have you do it yourself. Yeah, All right. Exactly. Well, luckily, I've still got backup in the form of Jason. Oh. Day late, dollar short. Still enough. Uh, we're going to call it the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. There it is. Thank you, gentlemen. That introduction was fit for a prince. Workmeister, excuse me, Verkmeister Harmonies prominently features a whale, or at least the carcass of one. We spent a good amount of time talking about that old bag of bones. Today, we will be taking a closer look at cinema's whales through a little something I like to call... I was going to say Whalemeister Harmonies. I don't know if Whalemeister Harmonies. I'm going to go Whalemeister Harmonies because I'm just going to keep forgetting. Um, So that's what we're doing. Uh, One at a time, I will read off a trivia item related to movie whales just to get ahead of the joke. None of these questions will be about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, though I bet that would have been really funny for me to do. So you can just (laughs) imagine that in your head. Um, since, uh, well, I was, so we've got the whole gang here, so I can bust out the spinner app. So just for our purposes only, that's what we'll be doing to determine the order uh, of guesses. Points will be awarded based on correctness of guess. As always, trivia mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your Googles with that. Let us go ahead and jump in. And we're going to start with 1993's Free Willy. Free Villy, I guess, uh, which is about a boy who befriends a whale in captivity and eventually tries to help it escape. Uh, Free Willy takes place in Portland, Oregon, and among the many people who've been born there throughout history uh, is uh, a former figure skater, Tanya Harding. Uh, she's a Portland-born individual. How tall is Tanya Harding? That is the question. I'm going to pull up the old spinner app here, which closed out due to inactivity, but we're spinning it now, and we've got... Harry, the first guess. Tanya Harding. Which, which uh, you got? I'm going to say 5'6", Cody. 
five, six, marking you down. We've got one guest locked in. Next guest is going to come from Jason Belateness Daphnis. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spewing. Uh, Jason, what's your guess? Uh, I'm going to go with five, four. I don't think that uh, female figure skaters are typically very tall. Gotcha. All right. That's how tall is she? Uh, Aaron, will you, you, you're, it's down to you to give us the, 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 the third answer. I don't Harry guess know, five, six, five, six, five, six, five, four. four. I'm going to guess five, three. I'm just going to go on the, the off chance. She's super that's, short. that's fine. I was thinking about going even lower. So I don't want Yeah. Yeah. Um, fair train of thought. Uh, according to online sources, uh, Tanya Harding is allegedly five foot, one inch tall. Whoa. That is a point for Aaron, who is at least a foot taller than Tanya Harding. I think a lot of us here are. See, I Most thought because she's kind of an unconventional figure skater, maybe that would mean she skewed taller. But I'm only obviously, I was that wrong. I'm mm. not. Yeah. Damn, I'm, I'm only I six feet six two. Feet. I've never had to use it on a dating app, but if I did, I would. You bet, I put that fucking six zero. No question about it. Boom. Sorry mm-hmm. to all the short kings. I don't. Jason, we love you. We respect you. <laughs> Shout out to all the short Isn't kings. Jason, who like need dating apps. <laughs> no, he's not six. That's all the right, thing that matters, buddy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he's saying it uh, as somebody who's not used a dating profile. I'm saying it as somebody who's not used a dating profile. It does matter, apparently. Size does matter. Try love podcast. Uh, next, we're going to hit on Pinocchio, which features a real asshole of a whale named Monstro. Uh, I'm going to read off three quotes from various people uh, concerning the production of the 1940, di- uh, 1940 Disney animated film Pinocchio. Your task will be to pick out which quote is is false or falsely attributed, You know, basically the, the bogus quote so to speak. Uh, so I'm going to read off the quotes. First quote is as follows from animator Norman Ferguson regarding making the movie. Walt Disney was evidently, quote, busting his guts with enthusiasm, unquote. Positively busting with enthusiasm. Busting his guts with enthusiasm. Uh, second quote, this is from author Nicholas Salmond uh, regarding the movie. It says, quote, and it's uh, an apt metaphor for the metaphysics of mid-century American child-rearing, ultimately an assimilationist fable, unquote. And our third and final quote comes from uh, author Maurice Sendak, who says, the water looks so real uh, in the movie. The water looks so real a person can drown in it. And they do. Therein lies Disney's triumph. So those are the three quotes. They got to knock Disney around kills the thousands. old bunks. <laughs> That's something to consider uh, as we head to Aaron for the first guess. Which one of those is the bogus quote? I'm going to say the Sendak quote is bogus. I think he, he hated the movie and he said that that was maybe not Disney's triumph, but Disney's failure, maybe something like that. I don't know. Okay. That's my guess. Gotcha. That's uh, I got your guess noted down. We've got Harry for the second guess. Harry, uh, gonna line with that. Cover the spread. You have got so many ways you can go. Yeah, well, I three think, ways, but I think I'm gonna go with quote number one because if my history serves, Walt Disney wasn't uh, busting his guts with enthusiasm about much of anything other than rampant anti-Semitism. Fair point. Uh, and over to Jason to directly comment on that sentiment or just provide an answer to this. Are you going to cover the spread or are you going to align with one of the other fellows? What you thinking? Walt Disney, not actually that bad. Um, in it, uh, no, I, I'm mm. going to cover the spread and go with the, was it Salmond was the critic? Yeah, uh, Nicholas Salmond. Mm. 
little on the nose. Um, but yes, I'm going to go with Salmon's quote being the falsy. The man's name was on the nose? <laughs> I was a Pinocchio joke. <laughs> Whale? I don't know. I mean, if it's about Pinocchio, it's definitely on the nose. Uh, the uh, correct uh, bogey quote is uh, is the third one. Uh, so, Maurice Sendak. Uh, I'm trying, how do I frame this? So, the water looks so real, a person can drown in it, and they do. That is uh, a quote from somebody whose name I didn't note down. That is, and I think the movie was relatively groundbreaking as far as like that specifically like the not like the i mean hyper realistic for the time and just like all the the way the water was animated i think was probably a big deal back then this was the actual full quote from maurice sendak the pinocchio in the film is not the unruly sulking vicious devious albeit still charming marionette that uh, coyote created um the author of the original pinocchio neither is he an innately evil doomed to calamity child of sin he is rather both lovable and loved therein lies disney's triumph you heard it here first walt disney actually not that bad um but aaron got the aaron got the point he's I was really uh, hoping for something spicier from old maurice crazy old maurice eh it's a different disney that animated a film beauty and the beast reference cody very good that was a beauty and the beast reference uh Shout outs to Crazy Old Maurice. Come on the pod with us. We probably, were crazy. Probably a better movie than Pinocchio, right? Oh, yeah, probably. I haven't seen I don't, Pinocchio, I haven't in, a while, seen but Pinocchio I really, in a very long time. Yeah. Um, Aaron maybe has because he's got a commanding lead with two years. films, black and white, three hour long. Oh, so Del Toro's Hungarian Pinocchio. dramas. Yes. That, absolutely that too. Not. Uh, tough but fair as we head into our third question, which deals with uh, a very adult film, Life of Pi, uh, which has a cool whale scene that I don't 100% remember, but I looked at screen grabs of it and remembered that I quite liked the movie and the book. Um, not gonna, I don't know, maybe I'll revisit those someday. But the fact of the matter is now we have uh, a question to answer about Life of Pi. Uh, it was a surprise hit, lest y'all forget, uh, keeping in mind that its uh, budget was around $120 million. Uh, $120 million. My question for you all is how much did Life of Pi take in at the worldwide box office? That's right, box office questions, which everybody here fucking loves. And our first guess is going to come from Jason. Jason, how much money did Life of Pi bring in worldwide? Mm, well, Angley got to keep making movies. So I'm going to say... Uh, for Angley specifically, that might not be the best metric. I just, mm, I just want to say... Fair, fair. Uh, I'm going to say $190 million. $190 milli. Locking that in as we determine who the second guest is going to come from. And it's going to come from Mr. Grossman. Aaron, what you thinking about Life of Pi? What was the budget again? 119 did one, you say? 120 milli. 120? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it made... Five hundred and nine million dollars worldwide box bill? office. Oh, okay. Right. Five oh nine million. I've got you down and over to Harry for our third guess for this question. How much do you think Life of Pi took in? It's tough. I remember it being a really big hit. I think I'm going to go with five ten million. <laughs> You, five. If you've just <laughs> given it to me, you fool! It's clearly prob- somewhere. I in the probably have. Yeah, range. yeah, I probably have. And four hundred million was my original guess, but I'm going to stick with five hundred ten million. 
All right, 510. I, I've got you locked locked in here. Life of Pi's total worldwide box office haul was about $610 million. So that's, uh, yeah, one spicy hit. That's that's a huge fucking movie. God damn. Oh, yeah. Three times the amount that the Marvels has made Was that so Dev Patel? Was that his big? Uh, it I never was, saw it. Um, let's see who was in that. Irfan Khan was in it. Toby Maguire yeah. was almost going to be in it, really? uh, but then he was not. Who was uh, Toby Maguire going to be in that movie? I think I think he was going to be like the interviewer, the role oh, that I believe okay. that was taken Sorry. by Irfan yeah. Khan. It was, it he was, was not going to be. Wanted to make sure it wasn't Pi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, absolutely yeah. not. It was Irfan Khan. That was yep. definitely that guy. They were like, man, have you ever seen the Lunchbox? It's a great film. I don't think God, it had come out by the time this <laughs> movie had come out, but nonetheless. God, the Lunchbox is such a good fucking movie. Uh, know what else is a good movie? This Nodi segment. Uh, now that we've got we've got Harry on the board here, Jason waiting in the wings. Uh, it's it's purely anybody's game at this point. As we head into our final two questions, uh, number four here. Uh, just a, a little um, a little, a little fun fact for y'all. In Avatar: The Way of Water, Loak is rescued by Piacon, a Tolkien, which is a pacifist whale-like species that the Metkayuna consider their spiritual kinfolk. Um, just you know, lest, lest we forget, um, I don't know how you could. My question for you all, what is the current slated release date for Avatar 3 as of the time of this recording? First guess is going to come from Aaron. Aaron, when's that third Avatar movie coming out? Uh Oh, God. Is it 2025 or 2026? And if we Not could get these, if we could get year. these in I'm the form of month, date, December. year, December. Yep. No, hold up, December twentieth, twenty twenty-five. All right, got you marked down here. We'll head over to the next guest, which is going to come from Harry. Harry, when is your when is the next installment your favorite franchise that you've seen Thank a you. lot? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Christmas twenty twenty-six. So December 25th, 2026. Gotcha. Uh, got you marked down there. And over to Jason. Avatar 3, it's coming out when? Too soon. Far too soon, whatever it is. All right, uh, got you marked I'm down. I'm going to say December. Yeah, I, I feel like it's not coming 2025. I feel like that's too, a mite too soon. But 2026, you can say December, December 5th, 5th. December 5th, 2026. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your guesses, gentlemen. The current anticipated release date for the third Avatar film is December 19th, 2025. Aaron was off by one day. Let's go. Sorry. Honestly, he does deserve to win that question. Of course. If I'm, be- yeah. if I'm being honest. It's a great, honest. great movie. The, it's not. The, not been a better blockbuster since. Great film. Also, I believe it's a Tolkoon instead of a Tolkien, but it's it's fine, hey, Cody. Cody it's you know what's just... fun is you actually have a button that lets you mute other speakers. When oh, yeah, I forgot that. Don't worry about it. Still have it's not seen mute. either I, installment is my friend. Mr. J. Cameron's great. series. Thank you, Cody. That's, Thank you. Oh, Aaron, can you please not leave your mic on when you rip I just, ass? It's I just wished I, wished I lived there. I Don't we all? Don't we all? Shout out to Wikipedia that uh, does not believe in getting giving pronunciations for the different uh, species of beings that live on Pandora. For our final question, 
We're going to spend some time on Pandora. No, we're going to spend some time with Noah Baumbach instead. <laughs> uh, a harsh alternative. Uh, the Squid and the Whale from the year 2005. If you haven't heard of it, it's a semi-autobiographical account of Noah Baumbach and his brother experiencing the separation of the parents' marriage in the 80s. I, I don't know. I remember like Somebody call but... the ambulance. Goddamn. I decided to, to just let that marinate for a little bit, uh, and I don't regret it. What I'm going to do is list off four of the more notable performers in the film The Squid and the Whale. And what I'm going to ask each of you to do is attempt to rank them in order in the order of most to fewest film credits as provided by Letterboxd. And your four actors are as follows. I'm going to give them to you in alphabetical by last name order. We have Jeff Daniels. We have Jesse Eisenberg. We have Laura Linney. And finally, we have Anna Paquin. Those are four of the more um, prominent, well-known names in The Squid and the Whale from the year 2005, directed by Noah Baumbach. Again, ranking them in the order of most to fewest, in your estimation, number of film credits as gauged by letterboxd.com. Uh, and for those new to this, you're tuning into the Verkmeister Harmonies episode. It's your it's your first taste of the trial of experience. What they're going to do is get a point for each correctly slotted actor um, because there are four actors total in the mix. There's a maximum of four points if they get them all right. If they get two of them right, but fuck up the other two, then they'll get two points and so on and so forth. You can imagine all the various permutations that the, might come from this. Can you give me yeah. the four actors again? Yeah. Uh, the four actors, reiterating, we've got Jeff Daniels, Jesse Eisenberg, Laura Linney, and Anna Paquin. Those are the four actors that these gentlemen are ranking in their estimation of the order of most to fewest film credits to their name as of um, right now. Uh, and the first guess is going to come from Jason. Jason, have I vamped enough? Do you have, you have uh, an order to provide? An appropriate amount. Um, I'm going to say Jesse Eisenberg at number one, most popular. Uh, Jeff Daniels at number two. Anna Paquin at number three. And Laura Linney at number four. Uh, stars and stripes all, but um, I feel like... Wait, are we doing most popular? Can I confirm? Most most number most number of film credits to fewest oh, film oh, credits. Oh, 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 okay. Well, then I'm gonna. Would you Would you like to to shift these around? I, I at all? man, I feel like the kid who just reminded the teacher that we have homework. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, we could have fucking fucked over Jason. We could have really got him bad. Yeah. yeah, you really could have asked me on that. I feel one. like we're all kind of shooting in the dark on this one. I'm not gonna lie to you. Well, I don't know. We'll I mean, see. like, put together what you know. Uh, I'm gonna say, motherfucker, you didn't even know what the category. Yeah, yeah, I'm still pretty <laughs> confident in it. I'm still pretty, still feeling pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Then I will. I'll scratch that whole list. Um, I feel like that would Scratched. stand up in court, uh, but I, I, maybe I'll look it up myself. Um, Jeff Daniels at number one, uh, just because he's probably been working some of the longest. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg at number two, because I feel like he's been in a bunch of movies I haven't even heard of. Uh, Laura Linney at number three, and Anna Paquin at number four. Gotcha. Thank you for that. I'm just going to read them back to make sure I heard them and wrote them down in the appropriate order that you gave them. So we've got Jeff Daniels, Jesse Eisenberg, Laura Linney, Anna Paquin. Did I correct transcribe correctly? Okay, excellent. I am just making some notes here and perfect. Over to the next guest, which is going to come from not Jason again, silly goose of an app, uh, Harry, uh, our actual resident silly goose. Harry, what is your order? That's me, the silly goose. Um, I'm going to go with Honk. Laura, Laura Linney at number one. 
Uh, old Jeffy B at number two. Um, Jesse Jeff- Eisenberg. Jeffy B? Yeah, Jeffy B, Jeff Buckley. My real friends call him Jeffy B, real fans. Uh, gotcha. Jesse Eisenberg at number three, and unfortunately, Laura Paquin at number four. I feel like she hasn't been in that many movies, which sucks because mm. – or sorry, not Laura Paquin, Anna Paquin. That's straight I, too, young man. I like her a lot. She's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just uh, I just watched her in the movie Margaret yesterday. Oh, nice. Uh, I've heard that's good. The, yeah, the three-hour cut is leaving Criterion Channel at the end of the month. Um, this is just free airspace for Criterion Channel. Fuck, why not? Um, but yeah, uh, Margaret's great, and she's really good in it. Um, she's also really good in Spike Lee's The 25th Hour. Oh, God. I've been thinking about that movie a lot lately. It's a really uh, good movie. The movie's kind of a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's Harry, written by yeah. kind of a hack, the guy who yeah. ended up making Game of Thrones, which is kind of unfortunate, but I'm I really sure. like that movie anyway. Yeah, yeah. Will this uh, will this order provided by Harry be uh, a masterpiece? We'll find out soon. And I'm going to read these back here to make sure I heard those correctly. So we've got uh, Laura Linney, Jeffy Banyuls, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, and Anna Paquin. Did I hear those correctly? Yep, including the Banyuls part. That's cool. what I. That's look. It's just what I call him. It's just what he's asked me to call him. Hey, I, I can't argue with Poker Night nicknames uh, and rules they obviously bleed into recording and we're better for it uh aaron you are the last to provide your order so lay it on me when you're ready jeff daniels number one laura linney number two jesse eisenberg number three and anna paquin number oh you fucking coward you fucking coward notepad document on my fucking desktop, typed up in that order. I will piece share of, it in a piece fucking Discord. <laughs> Suck my fucking dick. Fuck off. I don't. That's I don't give a order. shit if you had it. Fuck, like, how am I, I supposed to verify my fucking that? Because you tri- tripped over your fucking self to get a good answer that's similar to mine. How what? dare you, sir? <laughs> what? I went before you, motherfucker. You'd copied and my answer you? clearly. I, it's been written there. I just Try shared it on the fucking fans screen. Will know. I will be you. vindicated. Jason's gonna win this anyway. It's not a problem. <laughs> me what, what me. A... uh so i'm gonna read those back so we have from you aaron uh jeff daniels laura linney jesse eisenberg anna paquin that is your proposed exactly order correct gotcha all righty uh i'll get ahead of it and say thank you this has been fucking veilmeister harmonies uh i will now read the correct ranked order of these actors from most to fewest letterboxed credits kicking us off with 91 credits is old Jeffy B himself, Jeff Daniels. Uh, next, with uh, at uh, 76 film credits, Laura Linney. Next, uh, at 55, we have Jesse Eisenberg and bringing up the rear with 46, Anna Paquin. Great actors all. Uh, quick tabulation of the score, uh, of the scores, rather. Um, he wouldn't have got that if he hadn't copied me. I'm just saying. You know, he copied half of yours. Right. I, yeah, I got four out of four, motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> He's right. What? what? Uh, Jason- I guess what? We'd still be motherfucking tied, even if it was, did go your way. And I got the two. So I'm just happy to be here. Jason came into Thank the you, final Jay. round uh, <laughs> with a donut. He he picked up two for a final score of two. Harry came into the final round with one, picked up two with the last question, uh, ended with three. Aaron uh, came into the final question with three, got the order perfectly correct, uh, ended up with seven for the round. I know the pop-off platform kind of started already, uh, but Aaron, if you have any other parting shots. It's got shots, an asterisk next to it, if we're being honest. I think everybody knows. Do we? 
I maybe I just missed why this. There, I don't. Why is there an asterisk? <laughs> What's wrong with the asterisk? I, I think viewers will, or viewers, uh, listeners will know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's asterisk, and then at the very bottom, it just says, I rated Laura Aaron's here. Yeah, yeah. This is this is Aaron's award so often that we just kind of round it up. But as a some sort of like trivia make work program for the other members of this podcast, we give them the opportunity to compete every once in a while against themselves. Anyway, uh, look here's here's the deal, folks. I don't even want to pop. I know I just popped off. I don't even want to pop off. I am spooked because I was sitting here typing up my list of names. I don't know if anybody caught this. Uh, what do I see? A fucking mouse emerge under my fucking office door. Oh. Fucking mouse poke through. You know, haven't seen one of those in months. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Maybe I got to take out the trash or something. Mm. Anyway, so now I got to. Now I'm worried. You know, there's a fucking mouse hanging out in my apartment. He's he's literally and, not hurting anything. You mocked me, you know, for copying half your list, even though that didn't happen. You know, and and I'm in a emotional. You mocked me, and I have right a mouse. Now. How the fuck dare you? It was real small, real cute. Maybe but, you yeah, should he's gotta go. take your trash out, fucking filth boy. You think about that? Don't, Maybe you wouldn't I have, have a clean apartment right now, <laughs> which is why I'm quite confused. What's going on? I cooked something, I will say, quite good earlier, so maybe, the, you know, the mouse Fucking doo-doo ass. Clean up your Jesus apartment once in a while. I live in nice. a historic nice. building. Nice. What, what what else we got? Fucking Philfoy, doo ass. What other Historic seven points? That's what we got. Boom. Count them. Pretty good. Um, I yeah, I don't know, uh, Jason. If you wanna, if you wanna pick up the the reins for the outro, I'm happy. Would to, you maybe if I said I would love if you outroed us? Uh, I well, <laughs> I won't hit you, but you're gonna make me say some shit like, uh, "Thank you, Cody, for always ending our episodes on a better note than they started." <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> Let's go. Fucking um, yeah, we uh, so yeah, that's been Verkmeister Harmonies. Uh, once again, check out the Trilon uh, for all the great stuff that they put forth support them in any way you can um check out that parasphere right up from luke mosher uh whale of a tale where already uh already gave um gave luke uh, their dew flowers whale of a tale what else are you going to call that right up it's but it's perfect choice perfect selection um maybe i'm biased because we just came off of a bunch of whale nonsense um but thank you for for sticking with us for this almost uh two hour episode um so thank you for tuning in you can find us on twitter at try love podcast you can find the trilon at trilon cinema and trilon.org um uh, I, oh god we're going out of order I've been Cody Narvison you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison and Twitter at Cody underscore BH since I'm usually first in the crew I think I'll go next I uh, think that's right you, yeah you, I think so you too you see how that's not so easy don't you Cody I mean not that I've had like 280 episodes wow now he's it, fucking popping uh, off no, when I, have I ever I, fucking <laughs> said that's easy <laughs> Cody you did a great job all right, you did maybe a better job than I've ever else, seen on this podcast I think everybody else on the podcast oh, except Cody constantly gives me shit for not not getting it scripted perfect right um but i appreciate it <laughs> hey guess what buddy listen to the beginning of this episode oh yeah i, I did i did review a little bit i was <laughs> i was feeling very confident then i tripped Aww. up at the end well it's because you you talk so fast in a way that i like cannot match and like you crash and burn but it still sounds so good because you're still talking <laughs> so fast um That's how I get by. So, whereas i'm over here like molasses <laughs> this is he's a, like trial. a fucking auction collar over here he's just like <laughs> <laughs> three now and a four and a three uh you can check me out talking just as fast as an auctioneer at uh nintendoofus on twitter and i believe still blue sky don't use it much but find me there 
Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Uh, sorry to surf fans. We're not doing a surf fan uh, movie next week, and um, you're welcome to Blowout fans, uh, because I believe we're doing Blowout, even though we didn't... Uh, we don't usually go out of order like this, but we all just really wanted to do Blowout, so... Um, shoutouts to Old De Palma, um, and don't worry... If you were really hoping that we were going to do Blowout and you saw Verkmeister Harmonies instead, because you get both, um, you're welcome, I guess. And good night. Have we been talking for two fucking hours? Yeah, Holy shit, been. what the fuck? Alright, my name's Aaron. Outro. You are the sun. The sun doesn't move, this is what it does. You are the earth. The earth is here for a start, and then the earth moves around the sun. And now we'll have an explanation that simple folks like us can also understand about immortality. All I ask is that you step with me into the boundlessness where constancy, quietude, and peace, infinite emptiness reign. And just imagine in this infinite, sonorous silence, everywhere is an impenetrable darkness. Here, we only experience general motion. And at first, we don't notice the events that we are witnessing. The brilliant light of the sun always sheds its heat and light on that side of the earth, which is just then turned towards it. And we stand here in its brilliance. This is the moon. The moon revolves around the earth. What is happening? We suddenly see that the disk of the moon on the sun's flaming sphere makes an indentation. And this indentation, the dark shadow, grows bigger and bigger. And as it covers more and more slowly, only a narrow crescent of the sun remains, a dazzling crescent. And at the next moment, the next moment, say that it's around one in the afternoon, a most dramatic turn of events occurs. At that moment, the air suddenly turns cold. Can you feel it? The sky darkens, then goes all dark. The dogs howl. Rabbits hunch down. The deer run in panic, run, stampede in fright. And in this awful, incomprehensible dusk, even the birds, the birds too are confused and go to roost. And then, complete silence. Everything that lives is still. Are the hills going to march off? Will heaven fall upon us? Will the earth open under us? We don't know. We don't know, for a total eclipse has come upon us. But no need to fear. It's not over. For across the sun's glowing sphere, slowly, the moon swims away, and the sun once again bursts forth. And to the earth, slowly, there comes again light, and warmth again floods the earth. Deep emotion pierces everyone. They have escaped the weight of darkness. Darkness.